0: Well, I'm going to pray quick, and then uh, let's dive on in. huh? God, I, uh, I pray that you would bless the speaker. <laughs> I heard that from Chris Valatin one time. I laughed so hard. Like, i got to use that. Lord, that you would bless the speaker. God, but really, I, I do want the revelation that you've given me to be revealed to the people here today. Lord, I just pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts. Help us understand your word a little bit more today. And Lord, I just pray that we would uh get a deeper understanding of what you want for us here on earth when it comes to relationships, friendships with people and with you uh, in jesus' name amen so i don 't have a graphic other than the one that Caitlin put up on instagram it 's pretty awesome. go check it out <laughs> but um the title of this series is called i ship it and i <laughs> that was coined by Caitlin actually, who was coined by the teenagers of today. <laughs> I had no idea what the term I ship it meant at all. Who here does not know what that means? Never heard it, and you're like, what the heck are you saying? I ship it? Are you talking about freight or something? Are you talking about working in a warehouse? I totally was like thinking, I mean, because I worked at a warehouse before. I'm like, I ship it? Is that like some term about, I don't know, work? <laughs> Why would you give me that title for this series, which is all on relationships? Oh, ships, relationships, there it is. So, I ship it means you, you concur, you are totally agree with a certain relationship that somebody has. Like, one relationship with somebody else, and you're like, oh yeah, I totally ship that. That's apparently what it means. And I brought that to Stuart, because Stuart's preaching next week. It's going to be really good. He's preaching on the vertical relationship. I'm going to be preaching on the horizontal. How many of you know we got vertical relationship between us and God, because obviously God's above us. It's not vertical in the sense of towards hell. Don't do that. <laughs> but um, the, the horizontal relationship is the relationships with each other, right? Because we're obviously equal. That's what the Bible teaches us. God doesn't show favoritism. Nobody's greater than any other. That's why the gospel is so incredible, because it speaks to the rich and the poor. It, it speaks to every race, every gender, just the two, yes, <laughs> I won't get into that one, <laughs> I won't get into that, okay, um, but horizontal and vertical relationships, this is a two-part series, and I'm going to be digging deep into those horizontal relationships, is is it something that God wants us to have, is it God-given, why, why do we want to talk about this? Um, The scripture I've got, Seth, you can start pulling it up. It's out of the ESV translation. 1 John 3, verse 23 and 24. Excuse me. Um, Now this passage here is um, kind of up there. (coughs) I don't know what's going on there. Hmm, of course. Hey, James. Can you go help Seth quick? Computer's being weird. It's got a poor relationship with it right now. <laughs> Yay, Woo! So I will I will read it if you have your Bibles. I hope you do. First John, chapter three, verse twenty-three and twenty-four. And I'm reading out of the ESV specifically, and I'll mention why in a minute. But it says, "And this is his commandment." <laughs> his being Jesus, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. The reason why I wanted to use this translation specifically is that word abide. I really like it and that will I'm, I'm sure I'll preach on it more another time <laughs> but abiding in god it's it's the the picture of i'm the vine you are the branch you abide in me i don't abide in you first you abide in me and i'll abide in you that's what it says here right it says and this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son jesus christ so it's twofold believe in jesus and the second part and love one another just as he has commanded us so both of those are a commandment of God, right? That we believe in him, as well as that we love each other. I mean, that's straight out of the, I think it's out of John, actually. The greatest commandment. What is the greatest commandment? I think it's in all the Gospels, actually. The greatest commandment is what? Who, who here knows it? Anyone? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now who here knows where that actually comes from? Shema Israel, right? Yeah, it's out of Deuteronomy. It's out of the Old Testament. It's not just the New Testament. Jesus was quoting himself when he told it to Moses. (laughs) It's pretty awesome. But this here, it shows that vertical relationship to believe in Jesus Christ, right? As well as it shows the horizontal. Because we're supposed to love one another as he commanded us, right? So... It's obvious here from this scripture that Jesus desires for us to have a relationship with each other, right? And I'm not talking on romantic relationship. I'm just going to say that from the start. Don't, don't think what I'm talking about from a romantic perspective. Some of what I say will, reply, will apply to your romantic relationships. Um, so take it and make your relationships better. But we see from this passage God obviously wants relationship with us. That's obvious, right? We totally know that. But Scripture does say that we're supposed to have a relationship with each other. And it's supposed to be good. God wants us to have it. It's healthy for us. It's important for us. And not only that, but it's actually for our own survival. I don't know if you knew that. I'll dig into that some more. But this Scripture is the big focus of our two-part sermon series. Right? <laughs> it's It's the central focus of it So in your own time in the next week Dig into this chew on it Read around it That's what we should do We shouldn't just read one passage of scripture And ignore what's around it <laughs> We want a fuller context And John really hits hard at This concept before and after These verses like really hard Like the, the whole book is on love John just knows the love of God really well But We're supposed to have a relationship with God and with each other, right? Both are essential to our relationship with the Lord. This is what's mind-blowing. Our relationship with God has dependency on our relationship with each other. Think about that. Isolation damages your relationship with God. Isolation with other people. Ask anyone who's isolated, and they'll, they'll say I'm right. <laughs> like, really, if you want solid, healthy relationship with God, it needs to be more than one just with him. You need to have relationship with people. You need to have relationship with other believers. To abide in God and have fellowship with him requires that we not only cultivate relationship with God, but with each other, too. We need to have that relationship with each other. Loving one another is commanded by God. And loving each other genuinely keeps us in God. That's what the scripture says, right? I don't know if you want to pull it up there, Seth. Did you figure it out? 1 John three twenty-three and 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. And what else? God in him. So if you want God to abide in you, you kind of have to do two things, not just one. (laughs) Love God and love your neighbor as yourself, right? That's the greatest commandment. Jesus emphasized both of them. He said you need to love God, but also you love each other. You can't just do one of them because they can't be separated. And that's obvious in other passages of Scripture where Jesus is talking about if you love those who are poor and whatnot, then you're loving me. Right? If you're doing to those that are lesser, you're, you're doing them as unto me, too. And those concepts are throughout the Gospels. They're, out, they're throughout Scripture. Um, what we were made for fellowship with and relationship with others, not just God. So let's see what Scripture has to say about this, huh? We can see this, that we were made for community all the way from the start. So where do you think I'm going? Genesis? Yeah, I'm going Genesis. <laughs> so go to Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. ESV again, Zeth. Well, the thing is that loving one another keeps us in God, and the enemy knows this. The enemy knows that we need relationship with each other, which is why he's so hell-bent, pun intended, on us being at war with each other, us being at odds with each other, at He's so determined to keep us apart. To keep us apart from each other as well as obviously apart from God. But he knows one way he can do that is to cause division amongst each other. It's to cause no solid, strong friendships and relationships in your life. If he can keep you isolated, he's doing a good job at what he wants to do. But Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now this passage is obviously very commonly used for marriage and weddings and relationships, right? But it's it goes so far beyond that, guys. So if you're not in any of those categories, if you're single here, this speaks to you. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you, it does. And again, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not speaking about relationships, Okay. This is all about relationship. It's all about fellowship. It's about family. This passage here, when you see the Genesis account of mankind being created, it is an emphasis on healthy marriage, relationships, yes, but also family, also community, also fellowship, relationships. It is multifaceted. It is so much more than just one-dimensional in relationships. But... God says it's not good for man to be alone. Yet, he's got God. I'm like, what? God, you're literally there with him. And you're saying that he's alone? So It's obvious that there's this this void in Adam's life. That God himself can't even fill. Think about that. We always talk about how there's this God-shaped hole, right? It's a God-shaped hole that only God can fill. But... We actually never talk about the fact that there's, there's actually a human relationship hole, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> there's, there is a need that we have as people that God himself isn't even allowed to meet. And that's relationships with each other. It's, it's right in here, guys. It, it blows my mind when I read it. Still to this day, I read it and I go why, why, why didn't, why weren't you just content with being with Adam, (laughs) just him, why did, why did you want more than that, and it's because he wanted, he wanted mankind to experience relationship and fellowship as well, because he experienced it himself in the Trinity, I won't get into that today, but (laughs) if you want to talk to me more on it later, we can talk after, yeah, we'll go, you'll go into it, all right, (laughs) come back next week, right, (laughs) But we see that God wants relationship for us. And not only that, but he made us for it. We were made for fellowship with people. People that live all on their own up in the mountains. It's usually here in Montana, right? They turn weird, guys. <laughs> they get strange. Like, seriously, you read those, you watch those mountain, mountain people documentaries that are on, like, Discovery and stuff. They're not the type of people you usually want to run into at the grocery store. <laughs> They're just weird. I'll just gonna be honest, but <laughs> but really there's isolation does something to you. It's not a good thing. It's damaging. Again, ask anyone who's isolated and they'll they'll concur. <laughs> but when we are lacking relationships, there's an emptiness there. That only God himself can fill. Something incredible happened to Adam, to mankind, when Eve was created. Because the void was filled. That relationship was brought into his life. And obviously there was a romantic relationship, yes. (laughs) And obviously God wanted more than just Adam and Eve, so he made female too, for reproductive purposes, right? But relationship is so important. Community, this is the start of community being possible for mankind, for relationship and fellowship. God could have just created Eve the same way he made Adam. I was reading this today, and this, God popped it out to me. I didn't make her the way I made Adam. I made her from Adam. And it was this sense of all humanity will be connected. All humanity will have a gene that carries on for all eternity through mankind. There's there's no separation. I mean, obviously we can get into that Mendes' song of we all bleed the same, right? We're all human. <laughs> Why are we divided? Right? <laughs> but it's, God could have just made Eve the same way he made Adam, but he chose not to. He chose to make her from him for him. As well as Adam is for Eve too. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely true too. The both were made for each other. Humanity was made for relationship. And we're made not just, like, Eve wasn't just made from Adam. he was also made for Adam. She was, right? Now, you can dig into that on your own. It gets, you can go study that for a bit. <laughs> but it, it's, it's just it's so obvious, guys. It's so obvious that relationship is important. Connectedness is vital to our health. Because if Adam, who was literally in a perfect world, perfect, perfect world, perfect relationship with God, is as perfect as it got, and was ever really going to get, for the most part other than indwelling Holy Spirit, I guess. I don't know if he had that, but I won't get into that theology. But it was a perfect world, almost, until Eve came along. And then there was relationship possible, there is fellowship available. Adam in fact knew this when he saw her for the first time, and the the running joke is he saw her, and he said, "Whoa man <laughs> but the the truth is like he he sees her and goes this." This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. You can read it in scriptures in chapter 2 of Genesis. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is me? This is straight from me. This is unlike anything I've seen because I just named all of creation. (laughs) So he saw plenty of animals by that point, right? He's like, "This, this is unlike any relationship I could have before. He, he saw it and he witnessed it and he was able to to know it himself maybe because there was a little pain in him from her rib getting ripped out, but probably not. There was no pain back then, I don't think. But he he sees her and he knows this, this is in a way part of me. And in reality all of us as humanity, we're a part of each other. Especially in the body of Christ, right? We're meant to be feeling each other's hurts, feeling each other's pain, which sucks sometimes, right? <laughs> we, don't, we don't enjoy feeling pain. But not just was she a part of him, but he realized that, in fact, I am to treat her as if she is me, as, as if she's myself, right? That's, that's what the greatest commandment says. Love God as well as love your neighbor as what? As yourself. So that's obvious straight from Genesis, before Deuteronomy was ever even in the picture. So Adam was able to see her and know, this, this is a relationship I needed. I've been waiting for it. I've been longing for it. I'm not even realizing it. If you don't have this type of friendship, this type of relationship in your life, God wants us to have strong friendships in our life. And we cannot survive without them. And that doesn't mean give up if you don't have them. <laughs> please, please don't go away and give up. <laughs> if you don't have this, it's possible. But really, more than anything, it means we're, we're supposed to fight for it. We're supposed to fight for it. We're supposed to chase after it and fight to have that kind of relationship, that kind of friendship in our life. Now, part of the challenge is we're dealing with other people's wills too, Right? You can do everything on your end to have a good relationship with somebody, but if they don't give back to, if they're not receiving it, then nothing's really going to happen, right? But don't pray to God to bring someone into your life and then hide in your room and lock the doors and make yourself unavailable. I'll just tell you now, having conversations with teenagers that deal with social anxiety and young adults too. I mean, mental health is a serious thing that's going on right now, right? And depression is worse than ever in our society. And it's because people desire for a relationship, and some of them even pray to God for it. And then they lock themselves away. It's like, how the heck am I supposed to even get in there? How am I supposed to get into your life if you won't let me? And if you're somebody that's been doing that, I encourage you, don't do it. Stop it. <laughs> it's, it's the reason why you're not getting anything. Unless somebody's got a jackhammer or a bulldozer and they're just going to bust into your room, right? Which then you'd be mad at them for a whole different reason. <laughs> but we've got to make ourselves available, right? Sometimes people get brought into our life and it's not who we expected but it's who God wanted. Right? Amen? (laughs) Sometimes people come into our life and it's not who we expected, but it's who God wanted. Who God wants in your life. And sometimes it takes a little bit of time to come to terms with that, right? But when we surrender to God and we just let Him do His thing, it ends up so much better for us, Right? Sometimes he has to put us to sleep and rip a rib out of us. <laughs> that's what he did to Adam, if you didn't know that. <laughs> so, so we see that we're created for relationships, right? That God created relationships with each other from the beginning. And it was important for mankind. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. Relationships suck sometimes, right? Who believes that? Raise your hand if you believe. Friendships are painful sometimes. Anyone who has a family knows that relationships are painful, right? Anytime you go around the holiday season, you sometimes need some heart surgery afterwards. But the the thing with relationships and the pain that comes from them never existed until sin entered the world. I strongly believe that all show you the scripture for it it's in genesis you can go to genesis 3 but pain from relationships is a result of sin it's it's not because people suck even though the the sin inside them does <laughs> but the pain that comes from relationships first and foremost it comes from sin that's where it straight up comes from that's why It hurts. It's because people wrong you and we wrong other people, right? You don't think you wrong other people. (laughs) I'll ask you how many friends you have. (laughs) Friends can really hurt us though, right? Proverbs has plenty to say on that. That pain from a friend is better than kisses from an enemy. Can't remember the reference. It's in Proverbs. Go look it up. I always got to Squeeze the Proverbs in there somehow. <laughs> There's so much to say on friendship in Proverbs. If you want some wisdom on it, go read it. Was there any hurt, though? I don't believe there was any hurt in relationships until sin, ca- and sin happened. So let's, let's take a look at it. Genesis 3.12. I'm going to read out of the NIV translation there, Seth, for this one. So, in this situation, just before this, Adam and Eve sin. God walks into the garden and he says, Adam, Eve, where are you? He knew where they were, guys. <laughs> but there was this severing of the relationship with him that he felt. He, he could feel it, it happened. They'd never tried to hide from God at that point. And they, they say, Well, we, we heard you walking and we were afraid. And the the obvious conclusion would be, you weren't ever afraid of me before. (laughs) What changed? What's different? So in this situation, God confronts Adam and says, did you eat of the tree that I told you not to? And what does he say? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Let me me say it like this in a uh, verbally abusive way. Yeah, the woman that you gave me, her, this is all your fault and hers. She's the one that gave it to me, and you're the one that gave me her, so who's at fault here? (laughs) That one statement severs the vertical relationship and the horizontal, all in one sentence. In one sentence, Adam severs it, cuts it. And really, it was already cut by that point. Because this was already isn't heart. It was already in there. But in that one phrase, he says, yeah, the woman that you gave me, this is all your guys' fault. And you can look later on in the curses that were put on man, that you, you see that there's this, specifically in the, the description given to the woman, that there's a divide that's going to be there between man and woman, relationships, because obviously that was the only relationship at the point. So that's why it was described that way. But there's this severing of the relationship that happened. The relationship that Adam and Eve had was never the same after that moment, as well as the relationship with God, which Stuart will get into that next week. (laughs) But it was never the same. After this point, relationship with mankind there's always gonna be a fight. There's always gonna be a battle. There's always gonna be a war. To try to to keep the peace or to try to cause division. I mean that's usually relationships, right? It's either there's peace happening or there's not. There's no middle ground, right? But this this is an obvious example of Adam and Eve's first first fight. <laughs> he says that the, that one statement severs the relationship right <laughs> and the focus is all on the horizontal and the bible has so much to say all the way from the beginning all the way to the end i'm not going to get into the end i'm not going to go to revelation so don't worry <laughs> but adam was made and then god said it was good for him or it wasn't good for him to be alone right and he made a companion And the pain of that relationship never existed until sin came into the picture. And we see that in that passage, right? It broke God's heart. And it broke his heart more than just the the relationship with him being severed, too. It was also the, the relationship that was broken between him and Eve. Because it was never going to be the same by that point. And the curses that were put on people, it wasn't god cursing them it was the natural curse that was coming from sin coming to the picture now and god was just describing hey this is what's going to happen now sorry i warned you i told you not to do it and you didn't when i warn my kids don't stick your finger in the outlet or you'll burn yourself and then they do it I'm like i told you i could just tell them don't do it and then they get zapped all right, that's what happens. <laughs> Natural consequences that happen. So horizontal relationships, we need them in our life, right? We need to have them. I'm going to share the most typical human friendship example that we can find in Scripture. Any idea what it is? Anyone, anyone? There it is. Super obvious, super, super commonly preached on when we talk on Friendship. And I had to do it. I prayed on it. And I'm like, God, what do you want me to speak on? Not on Jonathan and David, right? Because everyone preaches on that. But no, he wanted me to. And the other passage of Scripture I'm going to bring up too is common about relationships, especially romantic relationships. But I hope that what I share with you guys on these passages is really going to bring a different, shed a little bit different light on it. I hope it sheds a new light on this for you guys. So 1st Samuel, that's where we get into the relationship between David and Jonathan. You want to bring it up there, Seth? It's 1 Samuel, chapter 18, NIV. We're going to do verse 1 through 4. So at this point, David kills Goliath. He's the hero. <sighs> yeah! Everyone's loving him. Even Saul at this point, amazingly. Saul loved him at one point. Didn't love him forever. But he's like, yes, this guy's awesome. I need him because he saved my butt. <laughs> and then he brings him into his house and he says, all right, you're going to live here now. And he makes him a part of his army. So at this point, David's at Saul's palace, whatever you want to call it, was living in the king's house, which Jonathan is the king's son. So, rightfully so, he's the heir to the throne, right? He's supposed to be the next king (coughs) in light of monarchies, right? But if you know the story, God rejects Saul and his family, and he says, I'm going to choose somebody else. And that's David. So in this passage, we, we see the start of the relationship, David and Jonathan. So it says, after David had finished talking with Saul... Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. That's biblical, right? Just straight out of Deuteronomy, straight out of the Gospels. He loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. What a jerk, right? (laughs) And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing. Don't worry, he had other clothes on <laughs> He gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword. It's a big deal, guys. Sword, his bow, and his belt. Basically, he was declaring allegiance to him. He's saying, you are my king. When it happens, you're it, not me. I know that I, so to speak, am the rightful heir to the throne but it's not for me. It's for you. Guys, this is incredible. Think about it. Imagine you're at a job, right? Somebody gets promoted instead of you. And instead of being jealous about it, even if you're like, I deserve that position, I'm the rightful one to take that spot. You align with them. You partner with them. Eighteen, chapter eighteen. Yeah, that's a, one. That's a one. one. First Samuel eighteen one through four. So, anyways, <laughs> well, yeah, it's just a different translation. No, there it is. So, this relationship is started in a moment. So I was over studying on this. I'm like, relationships don't start overnight, but sometimes they do. I mean, it's true. Sometimes there's there's a connection that happens, and you're just like, man, you're awesome. Let's do this. I want to be friends with you. I mean, I think it happens far more when we're younger, right? Get on the playground. Hey, dude, I like your turtle shirt. Want to be friends? (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. I mean, it's pretty (laughs) superficial relationships back then, right? (laughs) They were too deep, but... Deep friendships can happen in a moment. This is obvious of that. It doesn't happen often. But they can happen that way. Most of the time, they don't. Most of the time, it takes a lot of work at first. But to keep the relationship, we'll see, it, it does take a lot of work. It takes work for them to keep that kind of friendship. This is the most typical relationship in the Bible when it, when it comes to solid bromance, Right? <laughs> And they, they have this deep abiding connection from the start. And it's because of a selfless kind of love. It's this, I'm going to love you as if you're a part of me. The same way that Adam and Eve had. You, and, and not in the romantic sense, going to say that from the start. There are people out there that use this passage to justify homosexuality. It's not. I'll talk to you later about it if you want to. <laughs> but this Jonathan, he... He puts himself in a position and says, I am your servant. We'll see that even more in the next verse. Next one I have still in First Samuel. Chapter 20, 2-0. <laughs> Not just a 2. <laughs> I gotta pick out him a little bit. First <laughs> Samuel, chapter 20, verse 16 and 17. NIV still. So this is, so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord call David's enemies to account. Basically, may the Lord take care of your enemies, a.k.a. get rid of them, (laughs) a.k.a. kill them. (laughs) They're at war at this time. Don't worry about it. This is, and Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan's got this incredible devotion to David, and we see that. And we, and we do see the David one to him, too. But there's, there's a kind of friendship here that was, it's what we need in our life, right? You know when you have this, and you never want to get rid of it. You have this kind of friendship, you have this kind of relationship, and you're like, I don't want to lose this. This is so important for my livelihood. This is so important for me, for my spiritual walk, for my survival. <laughs> we need this, right? And the interesting thing here is that he he doesn't just make an oath to David, but to his house too, to the house of David. Remember, he he was the rightful heir to the throne. He's reminding David, no, I am aligning myself with you and with God and what he wants. I am devoting myself to you, and not just you, but your whole family. Who here has benefited from their parents' relationships with people? Have you guys ever done that? Prime examples are graduations. <laughs> you get lots of money. It's not necessarily because of all the people you know, right? Sometimes it's because of your parents and the people that they know, and they come and they... Bless you, because they're in a way blessing them too. They're like, hey, I'm going to bless your kids, because they're your kids. I'm not going to the neighbor's graduation party; (laughs) I'm going to yours. We can see see that, and I think that this is this is kind of an example of that. And we we see later on in Scripture, if you go read in Second Samuel, there's a son of Jonathan. I think it's Jonathan. Either way, it's the the house of Saul that David allows him to come and sit at the table and eat with him every single day. In the king's palace, he's like, you, you're coming to eat with me every day. Every day I'm there, and if I'm not there, you can still eat. Don't worry about it. Like He opens his house to this man, and it's not at all because he like necessarily knew him other than because of the relationship he had with Jonathan. So there's this, it goes beyond just just their own relationship and it starts to benefit those around them too it starts to benefit their kids and their, and their kids kids yeah kids kids so the next one i have is in i think it's i want to say i don't have the chapter here it's uh first samuel go to 22 verse 15 i think it's that one well, it's just a couple chapters later. I know it's either 21 or 22. <coughs> this is all during the time that David's been running for his life from Jonathan's father. <laughs> if you think you have family problems, he's married into the family too, if you didn't know that, because he's married to Saul's daughter. So his own father-in-law is chasing after him and trying to kill him, and his best friend is his, father, or his father-in-law's son. So it's literally his brother-in-law. Let me see if that's the one. Uh, Go to 21. Try that one. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, Maybe it's 23. Go to 23. Yeah, let me see it quick. It's all about him at Horish. It's him running for his life and Jonathan comes out to meet him. Oh, it's verse fifteen, I know that much. Twenty three, fifteen. Yep, it's uh verse twenty three. Or chapter twenty three. Chapter twenty three, verse fifteen through eighteen. Sorry about that. Sorry, Jackie. She does the recordings. (laughs) So, through 18. Go to 18 too. 15 through 18. So in this situation, David's running for his life still. Saul's tried to kill him multiple times with an entire army. Chasing after the anointed of God. I don't know why he even thought he had a chance. But, (laughs) like really, he's like... David's going to bring this nation as well as the Messiah is going to come through him. <laughs> Jesus is literally supposed to come out of his lineage. So he needs children first. Can't exactly do that while he's running for his life. But um, So, verse 15, it says, While David was at Horish, I don't know what translation, yep, this one Horish, say Horish, <laughs> in the desert of Ziph. I think. <laughs> he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. What a surprise. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horus and helped him find strength in God. That's what these relationships are for. David needed Jonathan. As well as Jonathan needs David. But we'll see in, in the next passage why, why we need each other. It's it's for our own benefit, as well as for us to to help the other people. He helped him find strength in God, not in himself, right? Find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. That's why it's driving him nuts. (laughs) The two of them made a covenant before the Lord, Then Jonathan went home. But David remained at Horish. Now, I'm I'm not 100% positive of this, but I'm I'm pretty sure this is the last time David sees Jonathan, because Jonathan goes to war at one point with Saul, his father, as well as his two brothers, and he's killed on the battlefield, as well as Saul. And that's when David gets put into position to be king, because obviously the king, the king is dead. <laughs> But three times, Jonathan and David remind themselves and each other of their relation and devotion to each other. Three times. How often do we do that in our society? Like, really? We don't do that in our culture, right? We don't remind ourselves of our devotion to each other and saying, hey, don't forget, I'm, I'm for you. I'm not for my father, like, David really needed to hear these words from him. He needed to be reminded that Jonathan wasn't going to turn on him, that Saul wasn't going to convince him otherwise to, to go after him. And that's really what he does here, right? My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. He's reminding him of God's word, God's promise to him, and reminding him of his devotion to him, saying, I, you don't need to worry about me. As well as you don't need to worry about the man that's running after you trying to kill you. He's not going to lay a hand on you. And you're going to be king. And I will be second to you. Not you to me. We see this relationship that's so vitally important. They need to remind themselves of each other and their devotion. Because the enemy's goal, guys, is always to destroy it. The enemy's goal is to destroy you guys. It's to destroy your relationships. It's to destroy your friendships, your marriages, your. you name it. The enemy's goal is to destroy it, right? Life sucks sometimes too. And that does a good job of destroying things as well, which is really all because of sin, right? Many times it's because of the devil that life sucks, and many times it's just because it's the worst. <laughs> Let's check out Ecclesiastes 4. This has this sheds a little bit of light on it. Ecclesiastes 4, 7 through 12. I'm just gonna bring this down here, huh? (laughs) Can you get me a glass of water? Thanks. So Ecclesiastes 4, 7 through 12. Verse 9 on is usually. (laughs) Sorry, I've got this cough that hasn't left yet. But verse 9 through 12 is often used at weddings and all that stuff because, obviously, marriages are a relationship, right? They're a friendship. At least they should be. (laughs) should be a lot more than just romantic, right? Thank you, love. Starting in verse 7, it says again... I saw something meaningless under the sun. Commonly said in Ecclesiastes, if you didn't know. (laughs) There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. A miserable business. Verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? They didn't have space heaters back then, don't worry. <laughs> Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. This is a picture of relationships, friendships, in that sense. I mean it goes beyond that, right? In the same way the whole Genesis account goes beyond just marriage. This here we see we need people why? Well nine and ten really give good good picture to that. Because they'll have a good return for their labour. A.K.A. Don't do business alone, right? <laughs> it works in business—a business mentality too. But if one of them falls down, verse ten is really the key part of it. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But if you don't have—if you don't have the what's it called—the <laughs> I've fallen and I can't get up. Sorry, I, life alert. <laughs> Pity anyone who falls and doesn't have someone there to help him, right? John, Jonathan, needed to help David. Because why? He was running for his life. He needed him. He needed his help. David needed somebody on his side, fighting with him, and strengthening him in God when he couldn't do it himself. He was able to defend himself. They were able to defend themselves, right? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A quarter, of three strands is not quickly broken. Now here's, here's my take on this in the story of Jonathan and David. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't depend only on one friendship in your life. Because what happens if that friendship is gone? Well, The cord's broken, right? But a cord of three strands is not quickly broken, right? Having multiple relationships in our life is important. Having more than just one person we confide in is important. I mean, you even look at the Trinity, it's three parts, right? It's not two. It's not just two. What do you guys think happened to David's life after Jonathan left? You guys want to find out? (laughs) You can answer me. You guys are so quiet. I like responses, if you didn't know. So let's check it out. First Samuel gives all the picture of David before he's anointed king. If you didn't know that, I'm giving you a little history lesson and a little explanation of the books of the Bible. First Samuel is all about that. It's all about who was king before him, which was Saul, and the rising up of David, him rising to power. And then Second Samuel is while he's king, and it carries on to then First Kings, which is after it. Um, I think it's right after it. I don't know if it's Ruth. <laughs> I can't remember. But I think it carries on to First Kings, which is then the lineage of all the kings. So it goes into high detail with David's life what's interesting is we actually have more information on David's life than Jesus' is. we only got three years of Jesus' life, right? We see a longer span of time. <coughs> but in 1 Samuel, we see his rise and his solid character, right? David was a man after God's own heart. He had a solid relationship with God. And the choices he made were incredible in First Samuel. They really were. We see that he's an eager, holy warrior. This is all described in my study Bible in comparison. But in 2 Samuel, we see that he remains in his palace when the kings are supposed to go off to war. He stays put and chooses to stay back, which also leads to the next thing. In First Samuel, he marries honorably. and You can see it in there. Go read it. I encourage you to. But then, what happens in 2 Samuel? He commits adultery with Bathsheba. All because of the one before that, which was him remaining in the palace. And then we see in 1 Samuel that he protects Saul's life. Even though Saul is trying to kill him continually, he's relentlessly pursuing him to end his life. And David's given moments where he could just totally kill the dude without anyone there to stop him. And he doesn't. In fact, he intentionally doesn't. And he grieves over the fact that he even harmed his cloak <laughs> when the dude was peeing in a cave. <laughs> the Bible doesn't hide anything, guys. <laughs> it really puts it all out there. And, and then, so he protects Saul's life, but in Second Samuel, he plots to kill Uriah who's, again, led up to by the previous one, committing adultery with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. And then we see that he's very decisive. He's able to make good, quick decisions before he's king, right? Because in Second Samuel is when he becomes king, and he's very indecisive. He has a hard time making choices and making decisions. In First Samuel, his prayers are effective. In Second Samuel, they're not. They're really pretty ineffective. Not every one of them, but we see a far more ineffective prayer, and it's partially because of him allowing sin to come into his life, the moral failures, and he starts to just spiral downhill. In First Samuel, if we, we see a fearless when outnumbered perspective. Obviously, with Goliath, he goes up to Goliath. He's like, "Piece of cake." Him. But in Second Samuel, he takes a census because he's like, I don't think I have enough people to fight this army that's coming after me. And God punishes him for it because he's like, you, what happened? <laughs> I thought you trusted me. All this time, you trusted me one after another, every single army. You just come up to me and say, hey, God, should I do it? Should I go to war with him? Are they going to be put into my hands? Yes, they are. Go to war. You're good. But in this later instance, he, he, he's just so broken at this point. And he, fearless, he fearfully takes his senses to see if he can go to war and win successfully. In first Samuel, he attracts thousands of followers. And in second Samuel, he loses thousands. He's starting to lose the devotion of the nation. And then it ends up splitting later. After the the reign of his son, but I really guys, after reading this, and it I had this thought: what was david 's life like after Jonathan was gone? What was it like? Because Jonathan was like an armor bearer to him right he He was there with him, he fought with him, he fought for him he strangely would know where David is every single time he's running for his life and his father can't find him. <laughs> I mean, he's protecting him. He knows him very well, which is why you can go find him when he's off running for his life, right? Because he's like, I know where he's hiding. <laughs> I know where he is. He's my best friend, for crying out loud. And he runs after them. And he helps him, right? So we see that he he has this Sense of, I am there for you, right? But guys, he never he never has a third one. Cord of three strands, right? Like it says in Ecclesiastes. That that relationship void gets opened up when Jonathan dies, and it never gets replaced. It never gets filled again. And I, I don't want to say that Jonathan needs to be replaced or anything like that. Don't don't get me into. That's not what I'm saying. Do you, under, do you understand? Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Jonathan leaves his life. Dude gets anointed as king, which you think you would need a relationship like that when you're the ruler of a nation, right? He needs it more now than ever. And it never happens. And I don't know why. Could be because he gets busy because he's a king now. Could be because he gets off to war. Because there's this like 10 year span of time from when Jonathan dies to the whole first incident of Bathsheba and it just going out of control. And during that time he's off at war. So obviously he's a little busy, right? He's got his hands full. But that relationship never happens again. He never gets somebody in his life To be that person for him. As well as for him to be that for somebody else. And we see that he falls. And falls. And falls. Over and over and over. And there's nobody there to pick him up. I'm just wondering what would have happened with David's life. What would have happened with the nation of Israel? If if he would have had somebody in his life. Like Jonathan again. If he would have allowed somebody into his life like that. I don't know if he was refusing it or ignoring it or rejecting it. I don't know that. Scripture doesn't tell us. But it does make it obvious that it never happens again. It never gets put into his life again. And we see that David suffers for it. He suffers greatly. Now he gets friendships, don't get me wrong. There's, there's some relationships he gets. He's got one with the prophet Nathan, who confronts him and calls out his sin when the whole Bathsheba situation goes down, which is important. But Scripture says here in Ecclesiastes what those relationships are for. Two can defend themselves, but a cord of three strands isn't easily broken. If either of them falls, one can help them up. The other one can help the other out. That's, that's why we need this, guys. Because why? Inevitably, we're going to fall. We're going to have moments of failure. We're going to have moments where we we need somebody to pick us up. And woe to the person who doesn't have somebody. They don't have someone to pick them up. Life is going to get a lot harder. And we see that... That was David's role to Jonathan and vice versa. Jonathan needed David, and so David also needed Jonathan. Who do you guys have in your life? Do you have somebody like that? I hope you do. But if you don't, pray for it. Expect God to give it to you, as well as expect the unexpected, because you might answer it in a way you didn't expect. But don't reject it. Don't hold back. And I don't know if you've had relationships like that before, and maybe you don't now, and you're like, it hurt when that person left. Guys, it grieved David when Jonathan died. He was deeply grieved over it. He mourned over it, as well as over Saul, amazingly. But he, he was hurt by it. Love suffers long, right? Relationships are painful. And it can be painful when, when that severing happens, when that breaking happens, which is why we need more than just one. Because if, if that breaking happens and you don't have somebody to comfort you when it happens, then, I mean, it might not happen again, which is what we saw with David, right? We need those relationships, guys. They're so important. They're God-given. God wants them for us. saw that in the beginning of Scripture, right? God made those relationships, He created them, not just with Him, which we'll hear about next week, but also with each other, right? Don't don't reject Him, guys. If you're rejecting Him because of the pain of a losing of one, whether it was a falling out between friends, whether it was a death of somebody, however it may be, maybe it was distance, moving somewhere, and the distance just was hard to stay close. Don't allow the pain of losing it to keep you from having it now. Cuz we should all have it. Cuz we need it. Amen. So let's pray. God, I I pray that if there's anybody here who is lacking in that relationship with somebody, who doesn't have that David Jonathan relationship, <coughs> God, I pray that you would bring it into their life. Lord, I pray that they would, uh, they would cultivate it in the way that Jonathan and David cultivated it with each other. They worked on it, and they reminded each other of our devotion to each other for their own sake as well as each other's. Lord, I just pray that that we would welcome relationships into our life. And if there's any hurts and pains <laughs> from losings of friendships, relationships in the past. God, I pray that you would heal those wounds today. You would heal those wounds tonight. You allow people to, to grieve and then allow relationship again. God, we thank you for the examples that you have in Scripture for us to learn from, to grow in. And God, we just thank you so much that we're not meant to do this alone. And we don't have to. I pray a blessing over these people here that they would they would have strong friendships. They would have strong relationships with people. And that they would uh they would see the benefits of it and and that they would they would hold on to it and they would treasure it deeply in Jesus name. Amen.